from the birthplace of radio's greatest era, live from New York, it's Radio Night Live with Kevin McCullough. Wait, who? Kevin McCullough, let me start with you. Huh? The big dog, Kevin McCullough. Who? Kevin McCullough. Uh, no, who? Nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. Who? Kevin McCullough? Kevin McCullough is a nationally syndicated radio host and author of No, He Can't. What? And CEO of Extreme Media. Oh. And a happy new year to you. Glad to have you with us on New Year's weekend. It is such a a good time to be together. Kevin McCullough, thankful to be able to be with you every Saturday and Sunday uh, on your local radio, television, streaming device. We are everywhere. Um, And as we go into 2023, I want to say right up front uh, at the beginning of this hour, Uh, What a deep debt of gratitude I have to the partners that have helped me uh, do this show for such a long time. Uh, You know, we are one of the longest running and the most syndicated uh, weekend radio broadcast in the country and have been for about nine years. It's uh, it's been a a, a deep honor to have uh, such a, a great opportunity on the weekend to talk to so many people. And to uh, get your feedback and to uh, know that what we're doing helps you in everyday kind of life, uh, from the types of stories that we cover to sometimes just trying to get you to smile uh, and, and maybe maybe tap your toe a little bit. Um, I, I made reference at the beginning of the first hour tonight that I had some news uh, about this particular broadcast. And uh, for those of you listening uh, by way of radio, for those of you watching by way of over-the-air television, and for those of you that are watching via stream, uh, I just I, I feel like i got to put the whole thing in context for you to, to fully understand it. When this show began uh, more than 12 years ago now, uh, it was partnered with the actor Stephen Baldwin, and we called it at the time Baldwin McCullough Radio, and it quickly went from three stations on week one to 100 stations in less than two months, which is just, for, for radio stations, that's just kind of crazy in terms of how fast that syndication took off. Um, after about uh, a few years with us, uh, Stephen moved on to other things. He's uh, still making movies and doing that sort of thing, and we carried on in the tradition of Radio Night Live. That's where this show became what it is now, and oddly enough, we grew even more uh, after the uh, change of the uh, kind of uh, context and tone of the show and everything. We tried to keep it humorous. We tried to give you a little bit of uplift for your weekend. We still tried to give you breaking news analysis on what was going on. But over the course of these last nine years that it has been Radio Night Live, it's been my pleasure to be with you every weekend and to, and to enjoy this relationship. And as technology has changed, so has our opportunity to find new viewers and listeners across the board. So uh, as um, a variety of television channels uh, have picked up the show on and off over the years, Biz TV and Center Post Communications became one of the real partners of this broadcast. Scott Miller and the team that had been uh, operating that network came alongside us and said, hey, uh, we really like what you're doing. We think that uh, it will help a lot of people. We, we want to put you on not only on Saturday one time, but we want you to run back to back. So from 9 to 11 and then 11 to 1 uh, for the last nine years, we've been in that slot on that great television network. And then in this last year, uh, Salem News Channel, which is the uh, new streaming news channel for the Salem Communications Company that a lot of 
radio stations that carry this show uh, hear us on. Great stations like KSLR in San Antonio uh, and uh, WORL in uh, Orlando and a number of others across the country. Those of you that are out west, I know we've got uh, Portland and uh, San Francisco and a bunch of places that, uh, that, that get this via radio. I'm just grateful for all of your partnership. But uh, Phil Boyce, my boss at Salem Radio, came and said, uh, Kevin, we've got an opening on Saturday night. We think Radio Night Live would be a great show to add there. Now, you might understand that a television channel, <laughs> and now two, uh, might not be all that thrilled with having what's called a radio show on their airwaves. Um, and though some of the rest of the Salem News property is uh, a TV simulcast of some of their syndicated uh, networks, Salem News Channel is really wanting to see to it that the uh, primetime programming for SNC uh, takes it to the next level and make sure that we get uh, the, the very best that we can uh, across, the, uh, across the airwaves. Well, I'd been considering this already because this show is as much a TV show as it is a radio broadcast and vice versa. It's as much a radio broadcast as it is a TV show. So to call it just radio or just television is really kind of unfair and kind of uh, doesn't make any sense. So uh, Eric Hastings, one of the new uh, producers at the Salem News Channel and I had lunch and we started thinking about ways to maintain the excellence of what this broadcast has stood for for this last uh, 12 years, but maybe take it to a new level, which is why I am really honored to roll out uh, for the first time ever for you to see the uh, artwork for the show that will replace this current iteration of the broadcast as the new That Kevin Show <laughs> for your weekend. Uh, it's not going to be confined to Saturdays. It's not going to be confined to radio. And it's really going to open up a door for us to be able to really get the word out on so many important things. And at the same time, maintain those opportunities that we want to have uh, throughout your weekend to maybe give you a little, give you a little giggle, give you a little uh, uplift uh, where you need it uh, and, and make your weekend a little bit better. So coming up this next month, in the month of January of 2023, we will be rolling out the That Kevin Show, and we've already got booked, and I want you to know about this up front. For the very first episode, we've already got the tremendously talented Kevin Jordan, the world's funniest policeman, uh, will be uh, joining us, uh, comedian, and there's going to be comedic elements to the new show in an even bigger concentration. We want you to laugh. We want you to have a good weekend. So Kevin Jordan's going to join us, the world's funniest cop, and Elizabeth Pipko, one of the world's truly most beautiful supermodels, uh, and she has got uh, a very exciting announcement of her own that she'll be announcing. You may remember uh, she was uh, someone that supported President Trump very strongly in the last election cycle. She's done a lot of work with the nation of Israel. She's got a lot of really good ideas about how to make life better for a lot of people. And she's she's on the verge of a very exciting launch of her own. And she's going to break that news for us uh, on the That Kevin Show, the debut episode, uh, most likely in two weeks uh, here uh, where you're listening to Radio Night Live. So I, I want to say hat tip to all the partners that have helped us to date. Thank you for continuing to believe in us. Thank you for continuing to push us forward to be even better than we've been in the past. And thank you to the uh, to those of you that are helping us become even something better in the near future. Uh, I'm excited about this. I think it's going to open up even more doors to have even more great conversations about some of the most important things uh, on, on planet Earth, but also give us the opportunity to, to relax and 
let our hair down and have a giggle or two uh, every weekend, which is kind of the uh, overall goal. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you uh, for that. And be looking. Uh, and, and in fact, tonight, um, one of the exciting partnerships that's coming on board with That Kevin Show is are my friends at Dry Bar Comedy. Dry Bar Comedy is a new kind of genre of comedy that's being done that you don't have to be embarrassed by. Truly funny, but not offensive. You don't have to worry about your kids hearing bad words uh, coming out of people's mouths as they're trying to get you to laugh. And so tonight, Kelly Collette is going to be in the ladies' lounge um, with the very first episode of our new comedic installment from Dry Bar. And then, of course, Kevin Jordan's going to join us on the debut episode for the That Kevin Show. So I look forward to all of that in the days to come. Now, very quickly, I do want to hit one new story uh, before we uh, get on to our next break. Uh, and I, I, I told you there was good news in the, um, in the, in the first segment of the first hour tonight. There's good news here. Uh, how many of you, show of hands, thought it was just kind of goofy to be allowing transgendered boxers uh, to specifically fight in the women's division of boxing? Can I, can I, yeah. You know who else thought that was dumb? Female boxers because you're in essence pitting a man against a woman in a very violent sport that oftentimes ended up with the women involved uh, being injured. Well, as it turns out, we have uh, some good news on that front tonight. An international boxing organization citing concerns over the health of women boxers, which I'm not sure that I really want my daughter doing that anyway. I don't think that uh, female boxing is something that I particularly have uh, great fondness for. But the World Boxing Council uh, has decided, and they made the announcement this week uh, in the London Tele Telegraph, uh, because of the dangers that are imposed upon the women in boxing when you have a mix of men and women in the ring they have decided and this is this is pretty good that they will no longer have men and women fighting in women's matches that in fact if they if transgender fighters would like to uh, fight and to ensure their safety and the safety of the people that they may have injured they're going to have their own boxing league so they're going to take the transgender boxing out of female boxing and that's good news at least for the lady fighters uh no more no more worrying about dying in the ring all right kevin mccullough we've got a great ladies lounge for you tonight coming up next kelsey bowler and an emergingly controversial story surrounding america's favorite doll and a little bit later on kelly collette and uh, more surprises stay with us it's radio night live From New York, back to Radio Night Live. Here's Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. Uh, this week, I saw a headline that um, disturbed me to no end, and it has to do with a toy that my daughter easily could have gotten into uh, by now. She has not. She will not be beyond this. But if you're familiar with the um, girl, the, the the doll brand, the American Girl uh, there is a bit of controversy, and here to discuss is the Independent Women's Forum's own Kelsey Bowler, a mom herself of young ladies. Uh, and uh, Kelsey, th this is this is you know, you don't get much more apple pie <laughs> than American Girl, and you know they had a big flagship store here in Manhattan. People would make uh, you know bucket list trips to the city to come go to that store, 
Um, but they have really turned on the woke as of late. What What's the latest? Yeah, this is really upsetting for those of us who grew up around the American Girl doll tradition and hope to pass that on to our own daughters one day. Um, what happened is American Girl publishes a series of how-to guides. They call them the Smart Girls Guide. And in their Smart Girls Guide to Body Image, American Girl offers children ages 10 and up ideas on how to socially and medically transition with the help of trusted adults. Um, and it even suggests, gives resources to young girls on how to pursue these transitions in secret behind their parents' back. There's a quote from controversial transgender activist, Jazz Jenning, and of course, there's no mention of the risks or downsides hmm. of pursuing these medical treatments, so-called treatments. Um, and so this book, rightly so, is causing a lot of outrage amongst parents because this is a company uh, that was founded on American values, teach children about American history, educated them, entertained them, and had a very good reputation of being a wholesome company uh, over the past um, you know couple years they they were bought out by retail giant Mattel um, and no surprise they've become more woke in that process uh, but I think this book was really a bridge too far for many parents mm -hmm. because what American Girl is doing here is wading into um, wading into a medical issue to very young girls, girls as young as 10 years old. And it is pretending as though the information that it's giving is at minimum non-harmful, but they would believe that it's actually accurate and beneficial. And Kelsey, the more medical professionals that I speak to about this issue, I mean, Dr. Mark Siegel was on my medical night a couple of nights ago, and he he is beside himself with what these um what what the administration and what this agenda is doing to children's medicine across the the, uh, the country because you, you've got medical experts supposedly um saying that this is what's best for kids and the the data is far from that and puberty blockers and other things are showing negative impact on uh, some of the children's health, not to mention all the stuff that we're finding out now in people that are detransitioning. You've documented a, a good deal of that in your uh, documentary Identity Crisis, but this is bad medicine and they're putting it in there. It's not just a, it's not just a moral issue for, you know, Bible thumping fuddy duddies. This is bad stuff for kids. And yet they're pushing it through this channel. You're right. These are experimental treatments for children. Uh, we don't yet have conclusive studies in the United States. There's one uh, that's supposed to be coming out from the NIH, but of course, uh, that keeps that release keeps getting delayed. But what we do know is that from many European countries, they are ending the use of puberty blockers in children who are experiencing gender dysphoria due to the long-term risks and a lack of evidence 
that puberty blockers actually help these children. In many cases, they're finding that puberty blockers are causing more harm. And it's also, um, you know, important what you pointed out about the stories of detransitioners who are so often blacklisted from the establishment media. They are firsthand evidence of the real life harms that come with these drugs and surgeries. I most recently interviewed a young girl named Prisha Mosley, who, uh, you know, went all the way down um, the transgender path to actually get a double mastectomy. And she um, faces very traumatic, lifelong um, complications from what she, what doctors and mental health professionals allowed her to do to her body when she was suffering from well-documented cases of mental illness. And, you know, among those are topics that are very difficult to talk about with young teenagers, let alone children as young as 10 years old, who this book is marketed to. Um, This is a girl who suffers from vaginal atrophy and dryness, uh, which not only makes intercourse painful from her, but also leads to distressing urinary symptoms. She doesn't know if she'll ever be able to conceive her own children because of years of testosterone. So these are very serious complications that have a high risk of occurring if children pursue puberty blockers and for American girls who so callously suggest young girls go down this path and perhaps go down this path behind their parents' backs is just reckless. It's a complete betrayal by a company that so many of us grew up loving and trusting. Well, you know, the um, in Europe, they have had a reversal uh, in the public health standpoint on this. And I know that our administration is not interested in reversing course on what it has said publicly. But I have to think that as more of this medical evidence comes forward, that we're, we're going to have to do something like that here as well for the welfare of children. I mean, and, and this kind of goes to the point you and I have talked about a lot. It doesn't seem like the left cares about children, not, not, what, not what is actually good for them. They seem to use children as pawns to an end. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they use them for their debate about uh, abortion. They use them for debate about uh, the, the, this agenda. They use them to say certain things should happen in the educational arena. They're always pawns that are, that are used by the left for certain outcomes. But in terms of the welfare of the child itself, it just seems like they just don't care about them. Well, what's so disgusting to see is that these major corporations are profiting from this indoctrination, yeah. from preying off of young, vulnerable children. You know, we we saw this from Valencia not long ago. We've seen Disney overstep its bounds and, and engage in political fights against parents. And, you know, now American Girl. Um, So, again, this is just a a betrayal of a classic American company that so many of us grew up loving. I I really dreamed of the day that my daughter would unwrap an American girl from under our Christmas tree. And unless this company uh, retracts what it published and acknowledges, in in the least acknowledges, uh, the truth about what puberty blockers and transgenderism actually encompasses... You know, I don't want to give them my business, and it's very evident that thousands of parents around the country feel the same. Well said. Kelsey Bowler, always appreciate your insights. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Kevin McCullough, coming right back. Don't go away.
Radio Night Live. Here's Kevin McCullough. Welcome back. It's Kevin McCullough and the New Year's edition of Radio Night Live, the last New Year's edition we will be doing. As you've already heard from me in uh, the earlier segments tonight, the uh, construct of this show, the the name of it, uh, kind of the look of it, the, the tone of it, is going to undergo a little bit of refinement in the next few weeks. And the Radio Night Live moniker will be going away and surrendering to the That Kevin Show, which should be a lot of fun. And one of the things we hope to do is help you to laugh as much as possible on your weekend uh, because we do know the value of some uh, entertaining humor as it goes by. And that's why I'm excited about a brand new uh, partnership with the folks at Dry Bar Comedy. And you can imagine someone who's got enough wit to uh, tongue-in-cheek the name Dry Bar must have an idea or two about what comedy might consist of as well. And we've got to promise you these things are funny and you're going to enjoy them, and they're safe for the whole family. So let's enjoy tonight's uh, first performance. Here's Kelly Colette. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I have one sister, and my sister calls me every year to tell me what to buy her for Christmas. I don't know if you guys have people like this in your life. It's a really fun game. Like last year, she called me, and she's like, Hey, Kelly, all right, it's Christmas, okay? I want this blender, all right? It's from Target, okay? It's $40, okay? Would you get that for me? I was like, all right. She was like, we were so thoughtful. <laughs> what can I buy for you? I was like, $40 gift card to Target. <laughs> right? I don't want to play this game anymore. <laughs> Actually, make it 100 I'm trying to win Secret Santa this year, right? shower. Don't invite me to your baby shower. I'll knock over your grandma to win a potted plant. Like, I am so competitive. I try and win the baby shower games as if the prize is I get to keep the baby. You know what I mean? Like, that's how competitive I am. It's ridiculous. So competitive. I had to say this to my friends on multiple occasions. I had to be like, I'm very sorry for what I said to you when we were in the escape room. <laughs> You're not useless. You're just not as good as as me, and that's not your fault, all right? And it's not like I need prizes. I'm like low-key a hoarder. Any hoarders here tonight? No, they never are. They're at home with their treasure babies. They couldn't make it out the door to come to the show. Right? Low-key a hoarder. I think I'm a hoarder a little bit because it's so easy to get anything you want nowadays. Like, are you guys addicted to Amazon? Right? I can't like I didn't order anything because that's how quickly it comes you forget that you even bought anything I was like <laughs> I have a secret admirer this is very mysterious this is fun and then I open it and I'm like oh zit stickers that's right <laughs> I had a zit yesterday and the stickers are clear they disappear and they'll hide on you every single time don't buy clothes on Amazon also that's my biggest advice never buy clothes on Amazon because it's never the quality you think you're gonna get I bought an outfit on Amazon one time. I was so excited about it. I wore it for New Year's Eve. I was like, I'm going to look hot in this. <laughs> I'm going to look like Mariah Carey. I put it on. I was like, like, I look like Drew Carey. Why did I? Why did I buy a blazer and glasses? It's <laughs> a weird. It's a weird New Year's Eve work. <laughs> 90s Mariah, in case anybody was judging me. All right? Always be my baby Mariah. That's what I 
registered for their stuff on Amazon. It was so easy to get them the stuff. And I'm actually kind of jealous because when I got married, I was 23 years old and I didn't know how to be a person yet, let alone know what to register for, for a wedding registry. I had no idea. Uh, so when I got married, I registered for an ice cream maker and a hammock and a bicycle. <laughs> that I learned what a colander was. <laughs> a, colander, a pasta strainer. Had no idea. I thought that was a cool metal hat you got to wear in the kitchen while your mom was cooking spaghetti sometimes. I had no idea that you could actually drain pasta with a tool. How did I drain pasta, you might be asking yourself? Oh, well first you take your boiling pot of hot water off the stove and then you slowly walk it over to the sink to pour it out one inch at a time while the steam hits you back in the face. You bury hand catch the pasta, throw it back on the counter, hope it doesn't fall down, the dog doesn't eat it. That's how you do it in my house. Thank you. The whole time I'm like, Shark Tank better think of something. This is yeah, she's on to something there. Shark Tank uh, could come up with uh, something, maybe a colander. Kevin <laughs> McCullough, uh, appreciate the folks at the Dry Bar. Uh, two shots of funny, no chaser. Coming soon to a TV near you. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Stay with us on this New Year's Eve edition. And now back to Radio Night Live. Once again, Kevin McCullough. All right, Kevin McCullough, glad to have you with us. You know, as we um, every year get to kind of evaluate what's gone on in the previous 12 months or even longer it's it's sometimes good to do a checkup on where we're at and what's happening and uh, my friends over the family research council uh, have just released a report on what has happened by way of hostility being expressed towards christians and the church in the united states covering the years i think it's uh, 2018 through 2022 and ariel del turco joins us now to discuss this she's the assistant director for the center for religious liberty at frc and full disclosure i used to work for the family research council so i just want people to be aware of that um ariel it's good to have you back thanks for being here um why did you uh, first of all why was frc interested in looking at this five-year period yeah so we really began looking at this um, just because we had uh, perceived uh, a supposed rise in these incidences. We were just hearing more and more about vandalism and other types of attacks against church buildings. And so we wanted to put numbers to that. We wanted to see if there actually was a rise. So we looked at uh, the years 2018 through 2022. Uh, through September 2022 was our reporting period. And we found almost that the incidents tripled from the first year to this current year. So at 2018, we were looking at around 50 cases that we could track of acts of vandalism and other acts of hostility, including arson, other violence against churches. And this year, there was 137 just through September wow. uh, on track to triple. Okay, so let me let me break this down a little bit because numbers are 
I, I'm fascinated by data and I, I find it very um, interesting to look at, but I also think sometimes it can be a little bit tricky to understand. When, when you say there were 50 incidents in 2018, um, I'm guessing that these were all reported and that there was a certain level of hostility that you detected to qualify an incident as one that was put on the list. Yeah, you're hitting at a very important point here. So we um, relied on open source data for our reporting. Typically, okay. that would be incidences that reach the news. Um, so we suspect the actual number to be much, much higher because not all churches either have connections to news outlets to get their story out there or don't report it to the police. Sure. There's any number of reasons that we wouldn't have heard about it, uh, but these are the numbers that we were able so, to find. So using that as the kind of barrier for, for evidence or inclusion, you're saying according to that same standard, nearly three times as many occurred in 2022 as occurred in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. What were the most... Well, who, who were the groups that were most targeted and in what way was that most expressed? So we found that there was a very disturbing correlation between times of political tension in the United States and a rise in these acts of hostility against churches. So most prominently, we saw that this summer with the leak of the Supreme Court Dobbs decision, mm -hmm. which was about to overturn Roe v. Wade. So this year alone, from January to September, we counted 57 pro-abortion acts of hostility and only five over the previous four years. So that's a very, very sharp increase. Uh, literally a lot of anger. And these are against churches per se. They're not against yeah. things like uh, crisis pregnancy centers or what would be considered sometimes parachurch operations. That's right. These are just churches alone. Wow. Which, uh, while many churches are pro-life and are a great source of pro-life activism, they were not responsible for the Supreme Court's decision, right. yet they were the target of violence. Um, so have, have you guys taken a look at uh, similar periods previous to 2018, uh, trying to judge by a similar standard at all? We've not. This this was our reporting period, just the last five years. But even within that framework, we saw a pretty consistent rise. Yeah. How closely tied? So you're. I'm, I'm thinking of the time period that it covers. You're in the last two years of the Trump administration and the first two years of the Biden administration that are all included in this. Um, did it? Was there a correlation to? You know, presidential administrations or governmental response to? Uh, these types of things at all? Well, every year successively, we're looking at a pretty steady rise, except for 2020 when there was a significant dip. However, we are chalking that up mainly to uh, the general uh, limitations and mobility that people had with lockdown, other restrictions. Yeah exactly during COVID uh, but overall there's a steady rise and really I, I think this is symptomatic of a growing uh, social hostility to Christianity generally uh, America just does not have the same level of societal respect for churches and religious institutions that it once did maybe several decades ago uh, we would have expected that even people that didn't agree with religions would still be treating church buildings and religious adherence with respect that and we're just seeing that erode more and more and more uh, and especially with that mix of 
political hostility towards Christian beliefs, especially Christian beliefs that uh, pertain to human dignity for the unborn, uh, into the definition of marriage and uh, proper human sexuality. Uh, We're seeing these being areas where Christians are increasingly targeted. Well, it's interesting that uh, you guys did this study because obviously uh, since the overturning of Roe and even since the midterms, there are, you know, there's there's assertions being made about the role of people of faith. And with the new signing of the um, what's called, I feel like falsely, the Respect for Marriage Act by the president, uh, it th- there are concerns that there is going to be more targeting. Uh, legal targeting of uh, people uh, through that mechanism. And I would guess that the trend goes when there's more legal targeting of people of faith, that the hostile acts that go beyond legality are probably going to increase as well. Do do we have any any basis for that, that theory being true? Yeah, I think there's a strong correlation between government violations of religious freedom and social hostility against religious freedom. Uh, So I typically look at two things for religious freedom, uh, legal protections, but it's not just legal protections that actually makes religious freedom safe in a society. It's these cultural influences. So does the culture support religious freedom as well? And so we're seeing that just collapse. That's uh, good stuff. Ariel Del Turco, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much. You got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back. Don't go away. Once again, from New York, here's Radio Night Live and Kevin McCullough. Ladies and gentlemen, we've worked our way all the way to the number one song for 2022. And at number one, as it was on the Billboard charts for 15 weeks this year, here's Harry Styles. The next song I'm going to play, I have to dedicate to each and every single one of you. Because once again, once again... You've changed my life. This is as it was. Holding me back. Grabbing me, holding me back. Watching you over time. Why don't we leave you back? Nothing to say. Ringing the bell, no 
as he was number one on the charts for 15 weeks, according to a Billboard's Hot 100, and by far the uh, longest record-holding uh, single for the year. Uh, he also played 15 consecutive sold-out shows in Madison Square Garden, New York, uh, over that same period of time. And what an amazing performance uh, here on Radio Night Live as we close out to the year 2022. Not many uh, episodes of Radio Night Live exist yet, uh, but that's because of the brand new That Kevin Show that comes your way soon. Hopefully we will talk to you again next week. Stay here.